Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear in this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. Check out nhte.net and be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. Besides that website, you can also find the show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on lots of other podcast platforms. There are links to Now Hear This Entertainment on at least a half dozen podcast apps at nhte.net. In addition to what's listed there, the show is also on the likes of Overcast, Himalaya, Podcoin, Player FM, and more. Joining me today on location at the Summer NAM Show in Nashville, my guest is a singer, songwriter, and guitar player who hails from Austin, Texas. In the last seven months, she shared the stage with Peter Frampton and Billy Gibbons at the Winter NAM Show, released her first album, and had three performances at South by Southwest. You've been hearing a song of hers called Heat of the Moment. It's my pleasure to welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Emily Wolf. Hey, Bruce. How you doing? Awesome. Great to have you here. Thanks I'm for doing so this. Excited. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And uh, thanks for the damage that you did to my face last night with some <laughs> face-melting <laughs> solos and just a tremendous live show that I had the privilege of getting to see. Oh, Re- man. Really good stuff. Good time. I'm so glad you liked it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I loved it. And we're going to talk about that later in the interview, listeners, but I don't really talk about this often, but that's one of the things that I really like is I talk to guests week after week after week on this show, and I love getting to talk to them and hear their story, but I never get a chance to see them do why they... I'm talking to them because they're musicians, never get to see them perform, (laughs) so it's really great. And by the way, listeners, that's one of the incentives. It doesn't cost anything, but subscribe to the e-newsletter. It only comes out once a week. I'm not going to spam you. You're not going to get emails from me all the time. It's just a a once-a-week email to tell you who's on the podcast that was released that morning, the email you'll get it on Wednesday. And a lot of times I'll put pictures in there of, hey, I went to see so-and-so perform this weekend. They were the guest on episode such-and-such. And so I was so excited to get to see Emily perform last night. And now here we go off and running. You performed on the Gibson stage at the Winter NAM show, as I said, this past January with Peter Frampton, Billy Gibbons, and a whole bunch of amazing musicians on the same stage. Was that was that planned or was that impromptu? You know what? It was kind of both. Um, I knew that there would be this big, uh, um, I guess, what's it, what's it called? Big old kind of party at the end where all the artists come out on stage and kind of do a big song together. Um, so that day of my Gibson rep said, Hey, we need you to play LaGrange. Like you're just going to play LaGrange, uh, with Billy and all the guitar players. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go learn it. So I went outside to the bathroom, uh, outside the bathroom at the venue. And I, uh, I took my bass player and we talked about it and learned it together in about 10 minutes. And, um, and that was it. And then, uh, got up on stage and it was one of those crazy dreamlike experiences. Um, I don't think I'll ever forget what it looked like to just see Peter Frampton right next to me and then Billy Gibbons a couple of feet away. But what Billy did was he, you know, we played LaGrange. It was probably like 15 minutes of LaGrange, <laughs> which was awesome. Uh, but he would point to different guitar players and everybody would take an impromptu solo and uh, I was kind of in the back, kind of hiding, but I really wanted to do a solo. Um, <laughs> and I think he could tell. But he pointed to me last, so he just, like, pointed, and 
I blacked out and did a solo, and apparently it was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that was the coolest thing that's ever happened to me so far. But so when you say that you and your bass player went outside and learned it real quick, had you ever played it before? And, and if not, how did you learn it? Did you pull up chords on a app or? So I had never played it. Um, heard it a bunch of times, grew up listening to it. Uh, but I didn't know the arrangement or the chords or anything like that. So I pulled it up on Spotify and, um, my bass player is my best friend and just an incredible musician. He's actually got, uh, a master's in jazz, um, which is interesting cause he's a rock bassist, but he's very, very smart. And, um, he was like, okay, so you're going to go to the one and then the four and then back to the one and then the five. And I'm like, okay, so we learned it in about 10 minutes and then that was it. And wow. then, yeah. But so, so he was able to pick it up by ear, in yeah. other words. He picked it up by ear. Um, and converted it, it sounds like, to the Nashville number system. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's, he is from Memphis, so he, he's a Nashville number system kind of guy. But Okay. Yeah, it was great, though. Um, you know, if, if he wasn't there, I probably would have just checked out a, the chords or something like that. But yeah. it took way less time <laughs> with him <laughs> by my side. Well, also at Winter NAM, you were part of a panel sponsored by Gibson, She Shreds Magazine, and NAM that included Nancy Wilson of Heart, which, uh, shameless plug, back on episode 86, I interviewed Roger Fisher, who is the founding guitarist of Heart. What was that panel, and how did you get to be a part of that? So Gibson, my Gibson rep um, asked me to be on it, and um, it was just a, a panel full of ladies, uh, guitar-playing ladies, and... Um, yeah, they just asked me to be on it, and uh, it was about it was about guitar tone. Uh, they touched on kind of um, you know um, gender and stuff in the industry, and uh, just a little bit. And then I I think my favorite part of it though was just listening to Nancy talk about her <laughs> whole career. So that that was really fun. So was that was this past January? Was that your first Nam show? It was. Ah. So this is my second. I'm, I love Nam because I love gear. So, so what kind of connections have you been able to make through the one in January and so far here this weekend? Oh man, you know, well, I got closer with pretty much the whole Gibson team, which is great. Um, just being friends with them is a lot of fun, you know. Even aside from the whole business thing, it's just nice to have friends who like understand gear and really are on the same page that way. But. Um, who else? Um, let's see. You know, that's about it. Connection-wise, um, I think a lot of little publications, you know. I've gotten a lot of business cards, which is cool. And uh, keep those in a little book that I carry around. And whatever city I'm in, I just hit up those people and say, Hey, I remember meeting you. And then it kind of goes from there. So, nice. Yeah. But I imagine that especially in January at the Winter Nam show, which is so enormous, that you had to be, I say deer in the headlights, more in the sense of a kid in a candy store kind of thing, that you go, wait a minute, this is like overload here. Yeah, it was. It was incredible, though. Like, um, I, yeah, it's funny because like when I go to like craft shows or like art shows or, or any kind of thing in a convention center, I get really like overwhelmed and I kind of shut down because it's a sensory overload. But with gear, it's like a totally different story, like <laughs> which is funny because it's all music and so loud and just very much in your face. But something about it is really comforting to me because I I love just pedals and amps and anything that makes noise. So it's like 
just a comforting kind of sensation, but it's also uh, overwhelming in a good way. So, yeah. <laughs> well, it's fortunate that you're not allowed to buy anything here. Otherwise, I imagine you're you'd not. Be, I didn't wa- know that. you'd be walking out with a four wheeler full of <laughs> all these new toys that Emily bought to take home oh, and play yeah. with. <laughs> so many. Well, you released your self-titled debut album in mid-February. Yes. Produced by Alabama Shakes keyboardist Ben Tanner. And it took you some time to get into the studio to cut that, I understand. It did. Talk about the pre-production process that you put into it. How was it different than your EP production process, those kind of things? Yeah. So um, business-wise, it took a long time to get uh, that record funded. Um, I had it written for two years and um it was kind of i was just kind of waiting to you know either you know what how can i make the money to do this how can i either get somebody on board to help me out with it but i finally um signed on to a a concord publishing um and they they funded that record and they're an incredible team i love them um but they they funded that record and um pre-production wise I did so much studying. I studied so many different genres. Um, Like, on the arrangement front, I studied just straight-up top 40 pop music. And then I studied Motown arrangements. And then realized how quickly the hooks come in and how, you know, in Motown, it's like, first 20 seconds, there's the hook. And they they grab you right off the bat. So I was like, all right, I'm going to... That's going to be in my rule book. And then I studied um, tones, like guitar tones. Like I love Queens of the Stone Age and all the weird little tricks that they pull with texture on their records. Um, And I actually kind of, I got really into audio engineering for it. I was Mm. like, okay, I'm going to see how far I can go into this. Because there's just limitless possibilities in terms of sound and texture. But, um, so I, I, I pretty much learned all the mics I wanted to use wow. and their frequency responses. Wow. And yeah. And, uh, and then I, I was like, maybe I should make my own mic. So I learned how to solder and I made my own mic and it was, uh, no way. yeah, it's really fun. Oh I love gosh. soldering. It's, oh yeah. It was a deep, deep rabbit hole of pre-production. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so I had this like, um, little really really just horrible uh, record player with like built in speakers and so I took the speakers out and then I made these uh, two little mics out of them so like if you take a speaker and you you rewire it so you switch the negative and the positive it becomes a microphone instead of sending out signal it receives signal so like I made two mics out of these things and then uh, they're really, really shitty. Like, they sound horrible. But um, they ended up going under the drums to, like, create this crunchy texture on the whole record. Like, and it's, like, really, really faint. But, um, so, like, the drums are hyped up in the whole record. But then you got this weird, like, bizarre kind of crunchy, small, tinny sound. And it's, like, it adds this really cool attack. Um, and mastered properly, people are going to are gonna hear that. Yeah. As subtle as it may be. Yeah. And, you know, like, you probably won't even really know it's there unless you you have either heard this podcast or or seen something (laughs) about it but um yeah it's yeah i just love that kind of aspect of it and then pedals 
I built this whole experimental pedal board and uh, had that. And then I had my live board next to me. I tried all these different amps and all these different mics. Um, I sang through like a metal tube on some vocal tracks. <laughs> Just tried to be as weird as possible while keeping it in the realm of pop Motown arrangement. You need to connect with Justin Johnson, who was the guest two weeks ago on this podcast and talked about the fact that he has made guitars out of shovels, not snow shovels, but the kind of shovel that you use in the garden. Three string guitars that he's made out of shovels. And he talked during the interview about some other crazy things and was saying that that's kind of his way is to take something that you might think of as non-traditional and make it a thing and now all of a sudden you see on his social media he's got like 20 shovels because people want him to make shovel guitars for oh, him and here's, so cool. here's Emily Wolf saying well I made my own microphone and I also <laughs> did this and I also did that and yeah I mean that's it's, pretty cool yeah it's so much fun it's just really fun to see it you know how far you can take that kind of stuff so is is some of that what went into you you being able to blend very different sounds so successfully and listeners you should know that she mentioned queens of the stone age and she had you had said that you wanted to you wanted like queens of the stone age meet demi lovato and npr is quoted as saying stormy seductive blues rock thunder with riffs for miles so is what you were just describing how you're able to blend very different sounds so successfully I, well, that's awesome. I'm glad it's it was successful. Um, I tried really hard, but yeah, actually, yeah, because the pop realm it's very polished, but Queens and you know modern rock, it's like it's almost like Queens of the Stone Age took metal and made it pop, and so I kind of took their version of metal and made it pop, kind of, um, if that makes sense. But yeah, so it's a blend of digital pop texture in the terms of production and then analog you know weird texture so like if you combine those two like i think that's that's really what i'm going for is just combining combining things like um because i love to play really hard distorted fuzzed out guitar but i also like to sing a certain way that's I guess, hopefully pleasing to the ear, you know? So it's like a juxtaposition thing. Like, I'm kind of obsessed with that whole idea. So, yeah. What was it like to work with Ben Tanner? And and by the way, how did you know that you wanted to work with him? Oh, man. Well, it was amazing. He's very, very smart and has such an ear for for what needs to happen. Um, I knew I wanted to work with him because Sound and Color was is one of my favorite records. It's so incredible to me and the texture of it I loved I loved that it was listenable but could also be um I guess heard as not lo-fi but just it's just really unique and I wanted that uniqueness in my record too um because I know with my music there's like there's such a line it can go one way or the other very easily and so I didn't want to cross over to the line of polished pop because then it can sound kind of dated but um yeah to add that kind of texture in brings it back to this like more authentic realm i think so yeah it was great he uh he taught me a lot too about frequencies and um so for instance i'm kind of like i'm 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 very much into like low end low mid-range guitar 
tone and he would say in every song like all right there needs to be some kind of upper frequency here to fill out the entire spectrum because like your ears want to hear the whole thing you know it's like 20k to 20k or 20 hertz to 20k hertz and so if you have all those it's like your brain's like great this is this is pleasing you know so he like had this whole scientific thing behind it which was awesome which is what I craved. Because a lot of producers, well, at least in my experience, there's the producer who sits back and, and kind of watches the engineer do it. And then there's the producer-engineer who does both. And Ben's both, which I love that. Because they're in it, you know, they're on the floor tweaking pedal knobs with you. And, like, that's really what I loved about working with them. Nice, nice. Yeah, and listeners, some of this is what I go through with microphones and when i record this show you know that when i'm back at home base i use the tascam tm280 microphone because i love that it accentuates the low end i have a very baritone voice as you can tell and so i love that that microphone brings that out these microphones that emily and i are using right now the tascam tm60s they're just great microphones for using out on remote locations like we're doing here and i've got the dr44 wl the handheld recorder which has built-in microphones. I choose to have more control over it by XLRing these external microphones into that. Back at home, I've got the mini studio, the audio interface, the US42, which is terrific for podcasting, but you can even use it for recording music. Whatever you're recording, demos, if you want to record your own EP, if you want to record your live show, I know they're very big on their Model 24, the mixer that they launched at the beginning of this year. Check out all this stuff at Tascam.com, T-A-S-C-A-M.com. They have all kinds of recording solutions. They've been in business for more than 40 years. Analog, digital, they've been through it all, and they just keep on going forward into the 21st century. So check them out, Tascam.com. Emily, this past year at South by Southwest, you had three performances. How long have you been performing at South by Southwest? Um, I think this past time was my fifth year doing it. So it's been it's been a while. I, I have to imagine that being a native of Austin, you probably grew up dreaming of performing at that. Oh, I event. did. Yeah. I remember the uh, first couple of times I applied, I didn't get in, and I was pretty devastated. And so ever since then, I was like, all right, I'm just going to apply until I get it. And then the first year, it was like such a bucket list item. It's really exciting. But was it just you kept applying, kept applying, kept applying, and they finally said yes? Or did you do something different that finally got the yes? I just kept playing playing live, you know, and building up, um, I guess, a fan base locally. And then, um, and then it kind of just went from there. I think that's because when I first applied, you know, I was I, I hadn't really done anything, so they, why would they, you know, select me to be <laughs> on it? But you know, because I'm um, from here and I'm awesome. Yeah. Pick me. <laughs> and looking back, I'm like, why was I devastated? Like it's they didn't know who <laughs> I was. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's been it's it's a great little festival. I mean, it's huge now, but. Yeah. I'm going to ask this for the benefit of anyone listening who is an up-and-coming performer themselves. So understand the spirit with which I'm asking this. What is the benefit to someone playing at South by Southwest? What can they realistically expect if they do get chosen to perform there? Right. This is an interesting question because I'll be, I'll be brutally honest with you. Um, a lot of people expect to, to go there, perform, and get signed or get a management deal or something like that. And the truth is, I mean, it just doesn't happen that way anymore. 
But what you do learn from it, you get that grit, you know, like you go and you experience a really tough time. So it hardens you. It like it makes you makes your, you know, skin thicker. That's what you get out of it. A tough time, meaning I just played at South by Southwest and I didn't get approached by any music industry people. Yeah. And, you know, that sounds horrible, but it's the thing is, like, the more you do that kind of stuff, it, it, it doesn't numb you to rejection and more like it, it makes you stronger. And like, it's one of those things that like, you just have to go through it. And when you do, you come out of it like, yeah, I know what that's about. And, um, there, and you know, it's not, it's not like every time it's, it's like that. Um, you know, sometimes people go and they do get signed. It's, it's all a gamble, but it's, um, it's a shit show though. Well, but I would submit that whereas you can sit there and say the other benefits are you make new fans, you play some cool places, you, and the traditional list, the one that's at the bottom is you say, oh, by the way, you can then say, I've played at South by Southwest. Right. And that's the thing. It's a great resume builder. Like you can, I mean, people, people still look at it as a, a, a rite of passage and a badge of honor. Like, yes, I was an official artist there and people are like, oh, that's awesome. You know? Yeah. Because there are people getting people applying and not getting chosen for it. So to me, it is a stamp of approval. Yeah, for sure. It's it's definitely a, a mixed feeling kind of experience. It's a lot to take in, um, but I mean overall, it's worth it. It's a lot of fun, you know, and it's intense. But it's honestly one of those experiences where you could write a killer song from it. Mm. So that's what that's the best thing about it. And you do make some new fans, and you yeah. do sell some merch, yeah, and you yeah. do <laughs> all <laughs> the true. other things on the list. Yeah. Well, I've raised an eyebrow before when you were talking about the recording, and you started to mention a little bit about your vocals, because rumor has it that you were quite shy about performing for a crowd to the point that in college you would play guitar but not sing, even though you wrote the lyrics. Right. And, and your style was more folksy and sad. So yeah. how and when did you make the jump to self-confident rocker? Man, uh, it's been a journey, but um, when I first started out, I was just so shy, I think, um, because I was kind of terrified of showing the vulnerable side of me. Um, But then over the years, I kind of realized like, oh, there's power in that, you know, um, because people can relate to it. So... Basically, I mean, I, I went through a lot. I, I, I had some, some issues with addiction, and um, I've been sober almost five years since, since all that. And um, it's interesting because when I wasn't sober, I played sad music, you know, which is a total reflection of <laughs> Played sad music state. meaning wrote sad. So your songwriting was evolving throughout all this. Right. You were writing sad stuff. Writing really, really sad, slow, acoustic stuff. Um. And then I got sober, and then I realized, like, you know, oh, my God, I have so much more energy, like, and I love rocking. I would much rather do that. And so out of that whole thing, my sound evolved into rock, and um, it's just so much fun. It's so much fun. It's my favorite thing to do is play live now. See, and that's interesting because I'm sitting here, and I'm thinking, and I'm going, okay, if someone is an addict they're probably going to have these emotions where maybe they would be more inclined to write some rock. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they get sober and they're like, 
yeah, life is good. Like, I yeah. just love everybody, and let's right. just hug it out, and let's p- play some nice folk songs that yeah. are just ballads. And so you went the other way with it. Yeah. And you're like, life is freaking awesome, man, yeah. and I'm going to show <laughs> you by just destroying the set. And yeah. Boom, and you're off doing these killer live shows. Yeah, it's great. I love it. You know, and plus, the upside to, like, playing rock, like, really loud rock is... Um, as opposed to acoustic stuff, at least for me, is like I can just retreat into myself. You know, if no, if people aren't listening, like I'll, you know, I'll just go into my own head and, and play to myself, and it's really fun. So either way, it's like it's going to be, you know, great. Yeah, good point. Because if people aren't listening and you're retreating into these sad songs, you could be miserable. Yeah, it's just people are just like, oh my I god. Know I, wrote th- I know I wrote this, but even I don't want to hear this. And nobody <laughs> yeah. in this place is listening to me, so where are we going here? <laughs> well, I see that in the merch section of your website that you had your album available on white vinyl, but it's sold out. So we're seeing a nice resurgence in vinyl consumption well, there, unfortunately, is this downturn in CD purchases. So do you plan to have more vinyl for sale? And, and do you have physical CDs of your music available? So I don't have CDs, but I do have vinyls, and they are almost done being printed. Um, so those nice. will be back up for sale, uh, I think, in a few days. Yeah. Nice, nice. That's great. I'll have That's to bring great. you one. Cool, cool. Listeners, I'm on location at the Summer NAMM show in Nashville with singer, songwriter, guitar player Emily Wolf. Visit her official website at emilywolfmusic.com. There is an E at the end of her last name, but we will put a link to emilywolfmusic.com on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. Please, by all means, engage with her on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Emily Wolf Music on all of them. Very easy to remember. Her music is, by the way, also available for purchase on Amazon, Apple Play, Google Music. It's streaming on Spotify. You can follow her on there, but please support her and purchase her music. If you just stream it, she's going to get fractions of a penny, although she's (laughs) going to kill it, so eventually those fractions will add up to big numbers. But for the time being, purchase (laughs) it on Amazon, Apple Play, Google Music, buy the, the vinyl, keep up with her on all her socials and her website, as I said. I am very grateful to everyone who listens and subscribes to this show. If you're just listening, do please hit the subscribe button on whichever platform you listen to the show through. And subscribing doesn't mean there's a cost, by the way. Apparently, there's people out there who still equate the word subscribing with like newspapers and magazines and stuff. Don't be afraid to do it. Hit that so that you get every episode automatically every week. It's just like that email newsletter that I talked about. You can sign up for it at nhte.net. All I ask for is just your email address, no personal information, not even your name. And like I said, I'm not going to bombard you with emails. It's just one a week every Wednesday morning to tell you about the newest episode coming out that day and other news around the show. So take a minute. Make sure you're subscribed to both the show and to the e-newsletter. I laughed about Spotify, but you actually have two songs Add a Blues and Swoon with well over a million streams each. And even Holy Roller off the new album already has over 300,000 streams. Is it a case of, I don't know how it happens, it just happens? Or have you put in any kind of Spotify strategies, playlists and stuff like that? You know, I don't know how it happens. It just <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes I notice that playlists are, are a big deal. So if it's, you know... If one of those tunes gets on a playlist, a lot of people can see it. And I think that's maybe how some of that happened. Um, and not until about a month ago, I'd say, well, um, I'd put, I put a, put some money into 
you know, like radio and stuff like that, and that's helped a bit. So yeah. Okay. It's okay. kind of a mix of both. Is it is it one of those because it's it's a business and it's what you're doing full time and you're seeing success, you're working really hard, but is it one of those I don't want to say pinch me moments, but as I just mentioned, you know, to all of a sudden look on Spotify and say, oh my gosh, I've got two songs that have over a million streams each. Yeah. Is that just kind of one of those moments where you stop and go, wow. I mean, I can't even doing. I can't even comprehend it. I don't even really like understand at, you know, I mean, it's, it's so cool that I don't think my brain can wrap itself around it. So, (laughs) you know, you kind of look at it and you almost as, almost as if it's a mistake (laughs) or written in another language to show it to someone else and say, what does this mean? Yeah. (laughs) Do they have the comma in the right? Yeah. To me, that looks like a million and I don't understand. (laughs) Well, as I said last night, wow. Saw you perform at the tin roof on Broadway as part of the she rock showcase, which was put on by the women's international music network. How did that, was that something, we were talking about South by Southwest, do you apply to perform at something like that, the the She Rocks Showcase? Um, they just asked me to do it. And, um, of course, I, I said I would love to. Um, it's an incredible cause. I think it's great what they're doing. It was a great event. And, um, yeah, it's it just one of those things that just kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, and, again, i I got to say it one more time, what a tremendous show that you put on and you know i could see how much you love what you do as you were up there doing it and and it's just it just translates to to the show that you're putting on you know we talk a lot about you know when someone comes to see you they're coming to see a show yes they want to hear your songs but there has to be some other entertainment value around it and it's great to see someone who's on stage that you can tell this person's not just up there like uh, they asked me to play some songs. So I'm going to play these three songs from my new album. That's yeah. it. It's like, no, I'm I'm going to have a good time up here. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, honestly like th- playing on stage is the really the only place that I feel very much at home. You know, everywhere else I, I'm kind of like a little anxious at and uh, it doesn't feel quite right until I'm up there playing. Um, and plus, I kind of decided to like store up all my emotions in this like little bank in my body and then you know when I'm upstage I can just release them all and it's it's the best it's so fun and it's just such a rush and a release and I'm, yeah it's one of those things that I just have to do you know a few months ago back home in Tampa I had the pleasure of seeing Hannah Wickland perform and then translated that into let's do an interview and she was the guest on episode 277 the two of you need to have some kind of a a shred off because (laughs) what i'm what i'm also getting at here is and i don't remember who this was that i talked about with it it might actually be rose cora perry who's sitting right over there that brought me her new cd that's coming out in september but I just wonder for you, Emily, you know, what is it like being a rocker in a seemingly male dominated genre? Because it might have been Rose. It might have been some of the others that I've talked to, maybe Hannah or, or Sass Jordan, I know, has been on the show. Is it is it I don't care. I'm just doing my own thing. Or is it, you know, yeah, we the women need to be heard more in the, in this genre. And, and, you know, maybe maybe something like the Women's International Music Networks helps out. Yeah. I think it's both. Um, there's a, there's a part of me that, you know, it's like, 
why aren't more women represented in this genre? Um, but then that kind of just fuels my fire to be like better than the boys and stand out above them instead of competing with them. Um, or join forces, you know, like let's be equal. Um, it's, it's a tricky area because the, you know, like historically it's been full, full on male or like if you're a a woman with a guitar, you got to have your boobs out and you got to be in a bikini and it's, you know, all this stuff, but things are definitely changing for the better. I think, especially with, with she rocks and Gibson has hired so many women. Mike Gibson rep and her team are pretty much all women and they're incredible women. Um, and things are, things are looking up for us, I think. Um, yeah. Well, and it is exciting when you get to see someone like you playing on the stage with Peter Frampton, with Billy Gibbons, and it's not a novelty act like, oh, we better be politically correct and yeah. include a female. <laughs> it's like, no, this girl is going to kick your ass, you know, <laughs> guitar-wise, so bring her up to the front of the stage. I mean, it's no coincidence. I just mentioned Hannah Wickland. She's going out on a cruise that Peter Frampton is a part of. Joe Bonamassa has been touting her for like a year. She's doing another one with, with John Bon Jovi. So it's great to see people like yourselves that are being recognized as like, it doesn't matter what their, what their sex is. It matters that right. they can really do something, do some damage with the guitar. Yeah. It's pretty fun. Like, uh, you know, if you close your eyes and the tone and all the, the, you know, what notes the person picks or, you know, they hit you right, then... That's really all that matters. You know? And with Justin Johnson, who's making those three-string guitars out of shovels, we were saying yesterday that if you listen to an MP3 and the song sounds good, you don't know what they were playing. And the most important part is that the music touched you and it right. impacted you in the way that, that the creator of the music wanted it to. Right, yeah. I do want to tell people about, well, we're talking about guitars, Boulder Creek guitars, which is the guitar that I play, acoustic guitar, and Boulder Creek is played by lots of artists out there that you know. Lee Bryce, country star Lee Bryce, plays a Boulder Creek guitar. Larry Gatlin plays Boulder Creek guitars. Players from Fleetwood Mac, Three Doors Down. There's been a lot of guests on this show who play Boulder Creek guitars. I'm anticipating to see Chris Donahue, the bass player for Emmy Lou Harris. He and I are going to shake hands and finally meet in person. I'm going to go see him perform tonight. And just a long list of players that if you get on the Boulder Creek website, you'll see. If you're serious enough about your guitar playing that you want them to custom build a acoustic guitar for you, get in touch with me and I'll personally connect you to Jeff Stramitz, the CEO of Boulder Creek Guitars. He was a guest on episode 241 of this show. And that's also a good episode to listen to, by the way, if you are an up-and-comer and you just want to hear some advice from an industry insider of how to approach companies or how not to approach companies to ask for sponsorships and endorsements. Visit bouldercreekguitars.com, B-O-U-L-D-E-R, and you can write to me at podcast at nhte.net, and I can connect you to Jeff. But they have a suspended bracing system that's very unique and really gives the guitar a great sound. They're good-looking guitars, but at the end of the day, it's what does it sound like. And I can tell you, I just love playing my Boulder Creek, so do check them out. Emily, while you're going to be busy in the next few months, you were telling me last night that you're out on the road right now, and... Two nights ago, you were in Little Rock, Arkansas. Last night, you were here. Tomorrow, you're in Atlanta. Then you come back to Nashville. Then listen to this. Arkansas, Kentucky, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Illinois. In August, the Mint in L.A., Sacramento, San Francisco, Palooza. September, you'll be in Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Massachusetts, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska, Missouri. 
obviously, listeners, she's coming to a town near you, so you're going to want to keep up with her online to see where and when you can see her perform live. Since yours is such a high-energy show, though, I wonder, you know, what, what keeps you going? How, how long do you plan to keep up this pace? Because that's a lot of dates. It's a lot of cities. And like I said, it's a very high-energy show. Yeah. Uh, Red Bull. is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will be honest. I do slam three sugar-free Red Bulls before every single show. I know it's bad for my wow. heart. But, you know, it wears off and there's a crash. Um, but, yeah, oh, man, I'm going to do it as long as humanly possible because I have to, and I love it. It's important to me. So, But what about, we've talked about this with a few guests over the last maybe two months. You know, the, the old model used to be you go off the road, you record, and then you go on the road and promote that, and then wash, rinse, repeat. You right. go back into the studio, you go off the road, but you look like you're just on the road, like you just said, for who knows how long. So yeah. is that kind of the pattern that you foresee for quite some time is just just record now and then when I get some time, drop some singles, just keep playing live shows. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm an independent artist, so I, I, I fund my own records and, um, I think that's the strategy is just to build up a, a fund through live performances. And then with that, I'll take that, you know, I've, I mean, I pretty much have the next record written, so I'm ready to go in any time, but, uh, <laughs> um, it's, uh, yeah, I'll probably, I'll keep on going, doing live shows and then um cut a single here and there and then you know release them as soon as i can probably in the next few months i would say next few months or next early next year but with the kind of success that you're having are you considering at all to do a crowdfunding campaign instead of funding it yourself i could do that um i did do that once and I, it was it was great you know um that could be an option. I might have to think about it. Yeah. And for the listener who is a frustrated musician who says, I wish I could tour all over like her and do the recording the way she says, what is it? What is where they could expect to be the number one source of income out on the road? Is it merch sales? Is it music downloads? Is it ticket sales? Where, where is the money in touring these days for someone like yourself that's independent that's just out there, I assume, booking your own shows. Well, so um, actually it took me so long to get to the point where I can go out and tour and, and not, you know, be in the hole in debt. Um, I got an incredible booking agent finally. It took me a very, very long time. Um, but it, that took, you know, team, you know, team after team and finding the right people to be representing me and finally found the right team who got got this booking agent for me and he's really putting me to work and I'm loving it I've been wanting to just tour for so long um and I just haven't been able to afford to do it until now but um yeah the I mean at, at this point in my career I'm still making money that's put back into the business for sure which it'll always be that way but um yeah, it's just kind of guaranteed. But are the, okay, so the venues are paying decent enough that you're not having to sweat out right, uh-huh. if the merch table is going to get you enough gas that night. or Right, they, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. You have a number of videos on your YouTube channel that are either live performances or just singles with a still image in the background. Do you have any plans to create any official music videos? I'd love to. Yeah. Um, that's one of those things that, you know, requires funding, too, and... Um, it's, it's not super high on my priority list just because 
I feel like my live show is such a part of my career that I'd rather people see that than anything else. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking on it, though. It's brewing. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I know there's no such thing as being able to turn off being a songwriter and say, I'm just not going to songwrite for a while. But with this crazy schedule of yours that we talked about where you're pretty much always on tour are you just kind of always writing or is there some kind of plan for well i do want to release a single on this schedule you know every other month or every third month or what what does maybe the next six months look like for you in terms of continuing to write and or record and release new music yeah so that's kind of let's see i don't want to say new music's on the back burner but I will say that touring is just number one priority at this point. Um, I'm always writing, though. I mean, and it, granted, it's always in my head. Um, it's kind of weird, but I, so drums are my first instrument. and um, Drums are? Drums, yeah. Wow. Uh, but so it's, let's see if I can describe this to you. But uh, so in my head, I can hear my teeth. I use my teeth to play drums, basically. And then I'll write the beat with my teeth so it's like uh the back of my <laughs> this is kind of weird but the back of my two front teeth is the kick drum and when i bite down is the snare so i'll make the beat in my head and then um you know think of a little riff and then you know i'll just write that way because you know I, I mean i'm on the road i don't really have equipment to but you're singing those into your phone or a little handheld yeah. recorder or something just yeah as, so, a, as a clearinghouse. So when the day comes when you say, okay, yeah, yeah. try <laughs> to put something together that resembles a song or two, right. you've got all those somewhere. Yeah, got a whole bunch of voice memos, got a whole bunch of notes with like just random little things that I think are cool and little words that I like and yeah. Cool. Well, suffice it to say that this is episode 289, and I think you are by far the first guest to ever say, I use my teeth for the, <laughs> for the drums. In my, I've heard in it's, my, you know, I've heard other people say that they do it too. Maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe uh, they were lying to me. I don't know. <laughs> Let, let's, let's put copyright 2019 Emily Wolf on that. that that's pretty neat. <laughs> well, we're going to close today with a song of yours called Holy Roller. So before we let you go, tell the listeners all about this song, please. Yeah, so this song uh, was written out of um, just really intense anger that I had uh, actually about um, some of the the people that I used to work with long ago um, who weren't the right fit for me. Um, but then I decided to take that uh, anger and, and apply it to a more um, national scale. So the song is pretty much about you know, abortion and um, religion and the people who are religious and, you know, pro-life um, and just feeling like my body is not my own because other people have a say in it. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's a bunch of, bunch of intense, angry emotion, basically. And uh, I wanted to layer a bunch of heavy guitars and kick-ass drums with it and... Uh, yeah, I think I, I think I got the point across, I hope. But, nice, yeah. nice. Well, listeners, you know that every so often a song will come along that I will go out of my way to say I really like it. This is an artist that I really like. It's not even whether I like Holy Roller or not. I'm saying you need to check out Emily Wolf. Obviously, you got to hear her song at the beginning. You're about to hear Holy Roller. But please, in a minute when I give you the, all the plugs for her website and her social media, please check her out, follow her. 
check out her music. Really tremendous show last night. Really great to meet you. Thanks for making time to do this today. Oh, my God. Thanks for having me. So much fun. My pleasure. Yeah. Listeners, that'll do it for this week's episode. And now hear this entertainment. My sincere thanks to singer, songwriter, guitar player Emily Wolf. Do visit her official website, emilywolfmusic.com. There's an E at the end of her last name, emilywolfmusic.com. We'll have a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. And then engage with her on social media. So here goes. This is where I get mad and I start pounding the table. <laughs> like her Facebook page. Follow her on Twitter and Instagram. Subscribe to her YouTube channel. And then watch and like the videos on there. For that matter, tell her that you heard her and her music. I now hear this entertainment. And remember, she's got amazing streaming numbers on Spotify. Follow her. Stream it on there. But support her by purchasing her music from Amazon, Apple Play, Google Music, Buy the vinyl album when she's got those restocked on her website. And, of course, keep up with her online so you can see where and when you can go see her perform live. Very grateful to everyone who listens and subscribes to this podcast. If you're, quote-unquote, just listening, do please hit the subscribe button, whichever platform you listen to the show through. Subscribing, there's no cost. It just means that you'll get every episode automatically every week. And it's just like the email newsletter that you can sign up for at nhte.net. Just pop your email address into the sign-up box on the website. Please take a minute to make sure that you're subscribed to both the show and to the e-newsletter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll send you out with another song from Emily Wolf. This is the one she just talked about. It's called Holy Roller. Holy Roller.